Dave Max Cork History Matters brought to you by Red FM. Dr. Paul McCarthy, thank you for joining me for this Cork History Matters podcast chat. You are the archivist with the Royal Cork Yacht Club. Uh, we're chatting just ahead of Volvo Cork Week 2022. Goodness knows people listening to this podcast could be listening to it at any point in time. Let's hope the week goes well and that it went well, depending on when you're listening to this particular podcast chat. You are the archivist with the Royal Cork Yacht Club, celebrating an incredible 300 years, as best as anybody knows. The dates go back to 1720. What do you know about the beginning of of what what everybody in Cork refers to as RCYC? Well, it's linked irrevocably to the English Civil War. Because during that time, a man called Murrow O'Brien fought first for the Royalists, then decided that the Cromwellians were going to win, so joined them. And he became known as Murrow of the Burnings when he was involved in a massacre at the Rock of Cashel. At the Rock of Cashel. So hang on a second now. Is this 1720 we're talking? No, because, we're talking yeah, 1600. Six, yes, because the whole Cromwellian thing and then like, and, and William comes after that, uh, William and James, and, and there's a siege of Cork effectively mm. where the, uh, the, the Williamite forces take out the Jacobites in, in, in Cork City. So that's late 1600s. Before you get there, you yes. see, this guy changed his mind again and joined the Royalists and went into exile which with the prince who became Charles II. Well, hang on now. So we're talking 1650s, right? So that's that's around the time of Cromwell coming to Ireland and, and, and doing all that he did, uh, which was post the Civil War. Uh, yes. Yes. So now, bring me to this gentleman again. Who's he? He was Murrow O'Brien. He was known as Murrow of the Burnings. Murrow of the Burnings. And okay. he then went into exile with the, the prince who became Charles II. And he went to exile in the Netherlands, in the Low Countries. Mm-hmm. And at that time, they were already sailing boats for pleasure. Before that, boats had been for commerce or war. Mm. And Charles picked up the habit of this. And when he went back to when he, when he, the Restoration, sixteen sixty. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is when the king is put back on the throne yeah. at the at the end of Cromwell's successor. His son didn't didn't last for too long. It didn't fare so well. So the the king is brought back as a means of uniting the disparate forces. Exactly, and Inchiquin comes back with him. Lord Inchiquin. Lord Inchiquin comes back with him with also a couple of notable other Irishmen, Penn, who, or William Penn, who founded Pennsylvania, had places in, in Ireland as well. And they'd picked up this yachting habit. Now, that's as best we know, because King Charles used to race his brother James up and down the Thames in boats. The, the Dutch gave him a present of a 100-ton boat when he was leaving, a leaving present. And anyway, his Murrow O'Brien's great-grandson who was by this stage the fourth Earl of Inchiquin, started sailing with his friends. And he was only 25 at the time, and he was a very active young man, and he got together with a group of his friends and said, let's do this properly. So he had a lease on Holbolan Castle, and there they started the Royal Cork Yacht Club, as far as we know, in 1720. And they used to race in naval formation, He was the admiral because he had thought of it. But every time they went out, one of the members, one of the captains, was admiral for the day. And he would then give the instructions. And then manoeuvre like naval ships, go into line, go line abreast, break a line, chase people. They called it chase, and it was an admiral's chase, and they had to chase after the admiral. And this was a very active club. 
and it grew, but they were very exclusive in the membership. They didn't really want to extend it. But over the years, it became larger. They, they took on more members. Mm. And they held regattas. They held parties. They held celebrations. Um, they had regular meetings where they all got together and drank and talk, talked about sailing and talked about other things. Mm. And it was a very non-political club. They weren't allowed to discuss politics. Um, they were only allowed to bring so much drink to a party unless the um, legal judges, the, the, the high court judges, were coming when they were allowed to bring more because the judges apparently drank a great deal. <laughs> well, and some things have never changed. So that was the start of the club. A succession of O'Briens, of Interquins, up to this, I think, sixth or seventh became admirals. And after that, other families like the Smith Barrys came in and they then put, passed it down through theirs. The admiral was re-elected every year, but it tended to stay with the guy in power. Mm. And a lot of them died in office mm. and passed it then on to their son or in one case, their brother. Mm. But as, it, as time went on, they did more and more in kind of expanding the club. Pe more people wanted to join. It became more popular. Mm. And, and, and I guess for... I mean, is the elite of society the right way to put it? The Hall members were rich merchants, basically. OK, yeah. Or lawyers, but basically rich merchants. The Crawfords, the Penroses. Um, all the, the famous names. Yeah, all the Cork names. They were, they were all those names. The Newnams from um, Drake's Pool. All these kind of people, they tended to be the people who were the members. Mm. It, was, they, it was expensive. These boats were big. They, were, they, were, they weren't like the yachts racing today. Mm. They were probably 50-foot yachts mounted with probably 10 guns, five guns aside, and a crew of about 12. You know, So these people were paid to drive or to work on the owner's boat, basically, while he drove it around and had fun. <laughs> and, well, and, then, and why not? As it became more... After emancipation, things changed. Mm. It, it did broaden its spectrum very mm. much. Mm. So we're talking Hall, Bowl and Castle back in... Uh, earliest records go back to 1720, but potentially earlier than that. Well, the earlier record of Hall, Bowl and go back to 1600, I think. Um, it was an old... It was an old... A very elementary type of star fort initially. Well, that's Battle of Kinsale type time, isn't it? Yeah. You know, that's... As it came towards the end of the 18th century, of course, the French Revolution happened. Yes. Just before that, there was the American War of Independence. Yes. And that brought about a need for increasing activity by the British Navy. Yes. Because when there wasn't a war, they laid all their officers off on, off on half pay. Yes. So the officers used pray for a war. <laughs> yes. And... Cork Harbour became much busier in terms of boating. They were based in Kinsale before, but it started to silt up, so they moved to Cork. And Hall Bolan became a very valuable property because they wanted to store ammunition, store spars, sailcloth, all these kind of things. Mm. And they took over more and more of the island. Mm. And eventually, at the turn of the century, um, the Royal Cork Yacht Club had to leave. They would not renew the lease. Uh, at the turn of the, the like, 1900 type time? Or no, 1800. 1800, 1800 type time is when yeah. they had to leave Hall Bowling. And it's, yeah. the, it's the reason why it's the Irish Navy HQ to this day. Yeah. It's still it. And then... So is that when they went to Crosshaven? That's, no, no, that's no. when they went to Cove. Ah, OK. Which at that stage was Cove because Queen Victoria hadn't visited yet. Mm. And they started being homeless and members leased their large houses 
to the club from their meetings. They'd meet. They'd generally have meetings three or four times a year, mm. but they'd also have regattas and mm. races and things mm. like that. And during that early 1800s, things were kind of subdued because of the war against against Napoleon. Mm. But when that finished, the club kind of blossomed again. And and in 1830. It was very active at that time, mm. and they actually started re- having proper races, you know, real races where m- new members could come in and bring a boat and chase. They did draw up new rules for the club. The clubs were, the rules were written down, and they drew up new rules in about 1740, 1750, and these referred to our ancient club, oh. which makes people think it had to be before 1720 mm. because in 50, 30 years ago, isn't ancient. Mm. But they, you know, the rules were adapted from time to time mm. to allow more members to join. Mm. And they had kind of interesting members such as um, the brother of Franz Joseph of Austria, Ferdinand Maximilian, during the Mexican War of Independence. And the French were very involved in that and persuaded the emperor to send his brother to Mexico and appoint him emperor. Oh. Um, but before that, he, he, he was the... Before that, he was sailing he, in Cork Harbour? No, he was the head of the, of the Austrian Navy. Oh, wow. That was his job as the, as the, as the emperor's brother. The Austrian Navy, And he okay. wanted to race in, in English waters, so he had to become a member of a recognised yacht club. So he applied <laughs> to the Royal Cork, who turned him down. And because do you have a he rough, was a foreigner. Do you have a rough d- date for that, or rough what, what sort of period? That are you looking was at there? 1857, I think. Wow. So the, I mean, Austro-Hungarian Empire, I presume we're talking, because Austria is a landlocked country. Yeah. So you mm. know, they ain't got no sea for a navy, but um, <laughs> presumably they ports in various. But I'm trying to think of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Where would their navy have been based? Black, um, the Black Sea, maybe. Black Sea, yeah. Turkish waters. Yeah. So anyway, he wants to come to, to English waters as they as they would have been seen. So, well, he wanted to race, right? Essentially, yes. Um, so he got turned down, but mm. the Italian consul mm. made a plea for him, and they revisited it <laughs> and made him a mem- made him a member. Yeah. And shortly after, his brother sent him off to Mexico to be the emperor. Where yeah, and he was the emperor there, <laughs> but the rebels won, and the French oh. pulled out oh. because the Americans. He was left high and dry, wasn't he? Yep. Yeah, the the Americans threatened the French with war if they put any troops into Mexico. So the French immediately took all their troops out. So what he had was the previous um, rulers' troops and a large amount of rebels. And the rebels won and they executed him (laughs) and his two generals. So we, he was shot by a firing squad. So he was the only member we know so far that's been executed by a firing squad. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. But getting into the 1800s, I mean, we had the first ever ocean race. Yes. Which was from Dunleary to or to Cove, to Queenstown. Yes. Eight yachts entered and Penrose won it after Penrose Key. Oh, you yeah. Know, he won it. And then 30 years later, we had the first transatlantic ocean race commencing uh, from here and going to New York. So Cork is home to the first steeplechase in the world and it also was the end point for the first world ocean race and and the start point for the first transatlantic race. And then, of course, the first um, boat to cross the Atlantic under power 
was captained by a by a Royal Cook member. And of course, there's Robert. a you referenced a pen uh, of Pennsylvania fame, William Penn, a Quaker. And there's a there's a suggestion that sir, he made a number of trips to the, to America because Penn's Landing is a famous place in the states where where I, I don't know what he did, but it's a rock apparently upon which he landed and said, "This will be named after me." I don't know, but um, he made a number of trips to America. But but is is reckoned to have set off for there from here mm. um, down he in Black Rock he had extensive lands but I don't know where they were you might know well there's one I've heard one suggestion of like so the the River Lee is, is narrower than it used to be it used to flow much wider so what will what will end up being the, the, the new part of Marina Park when they get to finish it there is the ruins of an old castle in mm. there um, just off the, the Black Rock Road in, in amongst the trees like you kind of have to be wandering in with your dog and having a poke around to, to come across it but seemingly that might have been one of the locations where mm-hmm. where set off for the United States. So Hall Bolin to went, Cove. It went to Cove and as I said it was different rich members rented their houses for a peppercorn rent so the club could have its meetings. And then in the mid um, 1800s the then Vice Admiral James Smith Hugh Barry, he leased a portion of his, of his key in Cove to the club. Again for a peppercorn rent. Mm. And with a huge amount of coming and going, what was it going to be? Was it going to be a hotel as could well? I, could I just, is a peppercorn that? rent, is that, is that like a nominal rent? Is yeah, that, yeah. yeah that's like a, new, a pound that's, a year. That's a new phrase on me. I might use that now in the future. Oh, it's a peppercorn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, it, there was a lot of debate about what would be built, how it would be built. And it was eventually opened in 1854. And it's the Sirius building which yes. you may have seen in Cove. Yes. It was a beautifully designed building on the Palladian style with symmetrical architecture, which is so attractive to the eye to, for many people. Which I presume is mm. where the Sirius Art Centre is now. That, it is. the Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, the Sirius was named after the boat that, that Roberts drove across the Atlantic, the first ever... The first powered... Powered, powered boat across the Atlantic. So it's named after that boat, which left from Cove. The first world war, had, there was a big change. First of all, of course, there was no recreational sailing. Mm-hmm. You know, it would have looked incredibly wrong when people are dying and fighting in Flanders to be having a nice afternoon on your boat. Mm. So there's basically no recreational sailing at all. Both army and naval officers from England and also from America based in Cove, and they were given free use of the club. They were made honorary members with no fee. So they could use it basically as a second home. Mm. And so we've got an awful lot of things in the club that were given to us as presents mm. when they went away, when, mm. they, when their time of service in that area was finished. And we've one inkwell, a silver inkwell, that I found particularly touching. It was given by the officers of a US destroyer in 1917 called the Jacob Jones. And... They gave it to us just before Christmas when they were due to move on to a different patrol from what was called the Queenstown Patrol. Mm. And not on their last one, but pretty close to it, they were torpedoed out by the Sillies. And unusually at that time, the submarine surfaced and the captain came out and talked to the people who were in the boat had the the destroyer had sunk they were in their dinghies and so on and he said do you have any badly injured people there and they said we've got two badly injured so he said look I'll take them on board the sub I've got a doctor so he took these people on board the sub and he said 
I will now radio Queenstown. I'll give them your location, the tide, the drift and the winds. He then headed off and radioed Queenstown and gave him the detail and said, would you give me an hour to get out of the way? <laughs> so this is uh, a German submarine commander yeah. t- taking pity on the destroyer that he'd just destroyed. Yeah. And so Captain Doughty and his crew, no, nobody else died. On, They were rescued. I found out that the captain of the submarine was called Hans Rose. And he won uh, an award called the Blue Max, which was the like the Victoria Cross mm. at that time in the in the German army, or oh, the German military forces. And he did this again and again and again. He did the same thing. He was one of their top submarine commanders. But he, he, but he made. A, but he had a conscience of uh, of yeah, some kind. Or he was a, a gentleman, mm. and I just couldn't think of that happening in the Second World War. And where, sorry, where did the quill come from? What is? Did that come from him or the ink? No, no, the came, ink. That, that was a present from the Jacob Jones. Oh, from yes, sorry, yes. It's gotcha. when I yes. was, I was when I was researching where this thing had come from. Is where you discover that yeah. story, Goodness which I me. thought was a fascinating story about humanity and war. You know. Yes. Well, I, I mean, this is not connected to Royal Court Yacht Club, but it's just occurred to me when you told that story. Uh, a friend of mine called Bob Jackson um, was in <coughs> McCarthy's Bar in Castletown Bear mm-hmm. and uh, noticed a samurai sword over the bar. Yes. And uh, I, I, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that oh, story. I know. Yeah, yep. I, yeah. Know, I know the I know the I know the girls who run it. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Uh, and it's an incredible. I would encourage anyone listening to this podcast interested in court stories. I mean, just stories generally. The Samurai Sword from McCarthy's Bar, Castletown Bear. And there's a there's an entire documentary made about that story, and it's a, an incredible story of a court doctor, uh, a McCarthy, um, who ended up being given a samurai sword by a grateful mm-hmm. Japanese. Uh, he survived. It, it, the, the stories of what he survived are, uh, you know, are almost beyond belief, including Hiroshima or Nagasaki, one or the other. He was in one or other of those towns. Also, the sinking of a boat yep. that he was being taken to. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was a prisoner thing. of war by the Japanese. The boat was sunk, and he, you know, he, uh, survived that. They machine gunned the survivors, and he's, <laughs> yeah. he missed it. <laughs> <laughs> survived that. Incredibly survived lucky. The, incredible. Um, and then uh, in the prisoner of war camp that he was in when the uh, when the war was lost for the Japanese and the prisoners in the camp were looking to exact revenge on the Japanese he he held his decorum and and um, and, yeah. and protected them to, mm. to some degree or other and uh, seemingly was, was, was given a samurai sword that's not apropos of Royal Cork Yacht Club but it's just it's an example of the sorts of stories that can come out um, you mentioned that there's a, a founding 25 of the Royal Cork yeah. Yacht Club what do we know about uh, those and and um, amongst the names of them are are, are some of the, the the most well-known cork names as we would see them i haven't researched any of those individually but i've only been doing it for a short while mm. um there, there's an awful lot i mean you could spend the rest of your life researching each name mm. i guess but it's like the coppingers and it's um you the know Frenchers. as we mentioned yeah and the crawfords and mm. you know all these the the the, the names that that echo down through through recent Cork history, um, at least. Why do we know of a 25? Like, why is because it... Because that was the agreed number. William, who was the first admiral, he decided there'd be 25 members. He didn't want it to become huge. So there was sort of an exclusivity about it, at yeah. least at that point anyway. Mm. And and this was for for pleasure racing or pleasure sailing. Um, again, where, you know, out but in Cork Harbour, beyond the mouth... They would have been round the area and maybe out. But yeah. don't forget, at that time, there were pirates yeah. and there were raiders. Yeah. And they formed a kind of naval mil- home guard, if you like. Yeah. Um, they yeah. Would, 
they were there. They sailed armed boats. Mm. So if if there was news about people coming in to raid Cork and Cork Blackrock Castle was raided, um, you know they would be there or would come out and try and try and help. Well, there's the famous story of the pirates of Baltimore. Uh, yeah. um, Jan, Jan Jansen I'm going to get that story off um, um, the lady in, in, in Duna Shade Baltimore Castle I read this little pamphlet that she wrote uh, I couldn't get over it at the time I kind of know a little bit more about history now and it seems a little less exotic than it did first but when I first heard that you know pirates from North Africa sailed into, into Roaring Water Bay and, and sacked the, the, the planter town of Baltimore and took away half the inhabitants in the mid 1600s I just and they were sold into slavery yeah, yeah. and it was a war guy who yeah. who tipped off seemingly the raiders and, and there was a long history of of Waterford and and the O'Driscolls of Roaring Water Bay mm. um which is you know which is sort of fascinating stuff too I look forward to digging out that that particular story and and you know he was um a Dutch convert to Islam uh Mori Assay or Mori Mori Race I'm not sure if you recall the name but he was originally Jan Janssen and of course the, the the Dutch would have been contesting with the Spanish who you know they they did an 80 year war with the Spanish to try to, to well, win the their freedom Span- yeah they were they were owned by Spain mm. until they got in and, and the Spanish had you know you know ejected the Moors to, to North Africa uh, and the North African ports were the sort of the mm. now Saleh I think was the, was the pirate capital it was effectively a, a pirate pirate-run city in North Africa and the, the Corsairs were, were, were the names of these pirates that, that certainly That's sailed it. the Mediterranean mm. but you know the fact that they came up as far as Ireland and, 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 and sacked a city You wouldn't have thought it would you really? No, no <laughs> Again the more you know of history the more you go well actually it's less unusual now but certainly at the time when I was like North African pirates sailed into Roaring Water Bay in the mid 1600s and, and took away half the village none of whom were ever heard of again All sold into slavery Slave markets. Women and children Yes and um, the the the, the Remnants, but the the land had been leased by the McCarthy's, who had you know with 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 the chain with the end of the Gaelic order and everything else. But they owned the land, but they leased the land to a planter family, and apparently it was quite a thriving town. The pilchard industry was was the, huge. It was the big industry at the time, and so pubs, you know, so there would have been all sorts of hijinks and going on, and and you know probably a great life there. Um, but the remnants of those that were left went went up the Illan River and founded Skibbereen. I didn't know that. Um, and uh, again, uh, whether that's one hundred percent accurate to the story, but that's mm. certainly what I recall reading was that effectively the the, the town of Skibbereen owes its mm. uh, its its at least its growth to, um, and I believe Skibbereen means a, 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 a some kind of small boat, um, but certainly it would have been a fording part of the of the Illan River and and further further upriver from from the open ocean. Um, there's one thing else I've just thought about you might want to find interesting about mm. Cork Week mm. is that the first ever race of that type was an Irish Sea Cruiser Racing Association meeting in 1976. And some of the guys, it was such a success, some of the Cork guys, it was held in Cork. Mm. So why don't we do this in two years' time. So is this, is this the, the genesis of Royal Cork Uke? Yeah. In, Royal Cork Because I sort of assumed it almost dates back as far as... So the club dates back to 1720. This but dates this, 1978. Okay. And it, it became incredibly successful. But in 1985, it was kind of too successful. And it was becoming very popular. But they were, they were said they, they were hot shots. Guys were coming over, hiring very expert crew... 
and it just winning all around them. And they decided, you know, the ordinary yachtsman... They were gaming it a little bit. Yeah, well, the ordinary yachtsman wasn't getting a chance to mm. win anything. Mm. So they brought in a new rule in 1985 mm. that nobody who will gain financially as a result of the race can take part. So you couldn't be, you, you weren't allowed to pay your crews. You couldn't bring on a hot shot helmet. It was voluntary. Yeah. It, you want to be a part of the fun and be a part of the experience. It was a great rule. Mm. And it became part of international ocean racing rules. That rule devised by four guys from Cork <laughs> became part of international rules. Wow. It makes for a completely different type of racing, you know. Mm. And where would the professional racers go then? Where would the guys who are, what what sort of racing do they take part in? Because this because this is more sort of a club like fun and social and. Yeah. Well, there were races round the round the mm. round the Mediterranean, mm. famous regattas mm. round there, and in America. Mm. If you're a top class yachtsman, you'll get asked. Yes. Well, I was going to ask you then about how Cork seemed to be potentially about to um, take a stage or or host the America's Cup. What? Uh, Am I right in that? You are, yeah. There was, it was thought that we could host the America's Cup. There was word New Zealand, having held, hosted the last two, didn't want to host another one, really for financial reasons. What is the America's Cup, firstly? It's a race that was founded after a race between several boats round cows in England, and the boat that won was an American boat called America. So the America's Cup was founded. Yes. It's the oldest sporting trophy in the world, I think. And and Cork was to have... So, I mean, Auckland's in New Zealand, presumably. That's where they held it in there. And it, they've got... It's a huge harbour. They've got fantastic yes. racing there and fant- yes. beautiful waters. Mm. But it was thought that it could come to Cork mm. and it could bring in the future tremendous financial benefit. Mm. It would cost a lot... To set up the groundwork, mm. Mm. But, but the, the, I think the, they thought something like 15 million or something mm. like that. But when it went, that would be there mm. and mm. it would be a huge venue mm. for other events. Mm. But anyway, it, it, it might not be... Um, with COVID happening, the door might there not wasn't be a lot of money. Money was being poured out. Yes. And I think <clears throat> the authorities got a bit frightened that we, you know, we're giving away, we're, we're spending a lot of money supporting people who had work with COVID. Yes. You know, can we afford yes. just to do this? Yes. And, and publicly stand up and say, we're going to commit to spending mm. all of this money where people might go, hang on a second, is this the right time for that? Is there not other things that could happen there? But but it might not be um, out of the bounds of possibility that at some point in the future. It could happen in the future. We've, we've got a wonderful place to do it. Yes. I mean, it's a fantastic harbour. Yeah. But, I mean, these are these are billionaires who are racing. Yes. You know, money to them is a different thing than it is to <laughs> certainly me. Yeah, and certainly <laughs> me too, unfortunately. But, um, again, it's a spectacle, really. Yeah. And I, from my point of view, I have watched the America's Cup over the years, and I think the new, the kind of modern one, the way they have these kind of jet-propelled boats on foils that go at 50 miles, 60 miles an hour, and the race is over in, I don't know, 15 minutes, compared to the duels that they had in the past where it was tactics and they were working their way up and down the course. I thought it was much more, more like yachting. Mm. This is more like speedboat racing. Mm, mm. There's one other race that's uh, jumped into my mind that I wonder 
does it connect in any way? Was the the, the Fastnet race and the the disaster that occurred there? Did it impact RCYC in any way? Did did member were members involved or yes, yeah. Well, yeah. So what happened? This seventies, the late seventies. It, it? it started in twenty five. 1925. Okay. And, and one from of the our, UK to Fastnet and back, is it? Or? It's, yes, cows to Fastnet. And cows, and is that an island off the south? It's an island off the Cornwall? south coast of England where the Royal Yacht Squadron is based. Okay. And I don't think the Fastnet has always started from there, but mm. it's based around there. Okay. But it was started, one of our members, Dennis Doyle, took part 20 times in it in his boat, Moonduster. Yes. He became the kind of the man, yeah. the the doyen mm. of of uh, offshore racing, but in 1979 there was an un, unexpected hurricane. It was hurricane force, and at the time the Admiral's Cup was being sail, sailed, which is a series run by the Royal Yacht Squadron in cows uh, of a series of races that culminated in the Fastnet race. And we had three boats in it that had qualified, and we had a three-boat team. And we were leading. As long as our boats even finished the race, we would have won this Admiral's Cup. But two of our boats lost their rudders in the storm. And one of them, in fact, you know, your friend Simon Coveney's father, they were... He was airlifted off his boat by by a helicopter. I mean, 15 15 people died Mm -hmm. from different boats. Mm -hmm. The RAF were involved. Most of the lifeboats around the south coast were involved. Mm -hmm. Helicopter, the Air Force were were involved. It was a huge rescue. Mm. Yeah, I think is it, it it actually might be in Crookhaven in one of the bars in there where there's quite a lot of um, documentation up on the wall of newspaper reports at the time. Um, maybe Crookhaven would have been location for some of the rescue that went on uh, around then. It was, it was. Well, it's very close to the fastness, yeah. you see. Yeah. Well, there you go. Mm. Yeah. And uh, I, uh, prior to commencing our chat, I was uh, explaining that I was in college with Simon, mm. uh, Simon Covey, who people might be familiar with as one of our. Um, <laughs> Uh, well, current minister in the current government. Um, but yeah, I was I was at Simon's 21st in Manan Bridge and was there the night that he met his now wife, <laughs> who I was friends with at the there time, Ruth Fernie. Going on now into the 20th century, mm. one of the members called James Payne mm. um, was a, a hero in the First World War and he won the first ever international dinghy race, which was held in Belgium. And the year after he won it, he was entitled to say where the next one would be held, so he had it held in Cork, and he won it again. <laughs> Goodness me. And then his son, Summers Payne, became an Olympian and was twice at the Olympic Games as a sailor. Yes. And several of our members have been Olympians. Yes. Uh, were any medals brought back? No, no. Yes. We haven't been that fortunate Yes. Yet. Ah, uh, listen, I mean, I... I well, one of our members was there four times in four Olympics. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, uh, managing to be, you know, adept enough to qualify and participate and be involved in Olympics is a huge honour, mm. uh, irrespective of anything of what might happen there. Into the 20th century, mm-hmm. it became more obvious. The membership grew stronger and bigger, but there was no room really to moor their yachts there mm. because it was a very active harbour 
and Cove was is right on the passage in. Mm. There isn't another passage. Mm. Yes. <clears throat> so they had to moor their boats out in the harbour and it was getting more and more congested there. Mm. And after a huge amount of discussion, there were members of both the Royal Munster Yacht Club mm. and the Royal Cork Yacht Club. And they met and they decided to merge. And they emerged in 1966. Oh. So now we so are... That feels more recent than I was expecting. Yeah, we're now the Royal Cork Yacht Club, incorporating the Royal Munster Yacht Club. And where were Royal Munster Yacht Club based prior to that? They were in Crosshaven. They had come to an agreement with the Cork Motorboat Club, okay. which was not flourishing and needed support. Mm-hmm. And the Royal Munster needed a base. Mm-hmm. So they joined... Or they merged mm. with the with the Cork Motorboat Society, mm-hmm. and then when we merged, we came over to the Royal Munster. So they Clubhouse. they had the space and the place. Yeah, and um, I mean Crosshaven's uh, such a f- fabulous village and beautiful location across from Currabinny Woods and sheltered, mm-hmm. uh, pr- presumably a little more sheltered than than Cove would be. Um, so, oh yes. So probably was advantageous mm. in, a, in for mm. a whole variety but of the, reasons. But there's all the river to moor boats and up there, and mm. there's you know there's no commercial traffic going yes. up there that's yes. stopping you. Yeah. So it gives it it gives a huge advantage. So you know, let's bring it back to basics. What what is Royal Cork Yacht Club? Um, it it it's it's a club for for people who sail. Uh, and and what what do they get by by being a member? What what is what is the association? Um, they get the privilege of being able to keep their boat there, I mm, suppose, mm. and being... It's an incredibly friendly club. I mean, I was i was made hugely welcome. I only joined 21 years ago, mm. and I was made incredibly welcome. You know, if I, mm. I'd, <clears throat> I hadn't sailed, if I wanted to know something, somebody said, I'll come down and help you with that. Mm. I'll show you how to do this. Mm. I'll show you how to do that. And so presumably <clears throat> you took a series of mm. sailing courses. I mean, I presume that's how someone would learn to sail unless it's, uh, you know, unless they, they know someone who's adept at it and can bring them and show them the ropes, literally. Mm. Well, there's a, a, a very old yachting family in Cove called the Englishers. Joe English sailed around the world and he, he captained an American's cup boat and things like that, a very famous sailor. Mm. And um, his brother runs sailing courses, so I did courses with him. Mm. And uh, you, I think you mentioned to me off air, you off 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 chat that you you were a windsurfer and a, and a rock climber. So you know you'd some experience of the water. You liked, uh, you know, I, I do a bit of surfing myself, and it's you know like I think people who who go out into the sea and 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 have fun and play around and it it it's something it's hard to it, it doesn't leave you, you know. Um, so what was the experience like taking up sailing and and learning that? whole new world. It was great, but not alone that. I mean, the club's got a huge amount of teaching facilities. They start dinghy teaching children from a very young age, and they're kind of monitored the entire way through, and they move up. And we've got people who are kind of very small dinghy sailors who are now crewing on international race yachts. People like Harry Cudmore. He was the first Irishman ever to win a world championship. Mm. on a boat, which was designed and built in Crosshaven. Presumably you don't need to own a boat to be a member of Royal no. Cork Yacht Club. I no. mean, what, you could, you could, you know, drive down there, walk, to, take the bus, uh, cycle, you, can, you know, <laughs> swim. You don't have and, to. And you go in the door and you say, hi, how's it going? What, how, how does it work? Well, if people know you want to sail, mm-hmm. you'll usually be offered places on a boat mm. because the boats that sail there, they'd be an average 
length of between 25 and 35 feet, mm. which would need a crew of five to six people. Mm. So because you like sailing and you've bought a 35-feet boat, mm. you may be able to sail it by yourself and your mm. wife, but mm. it's probably a lot easier if you mm. want to race. Mm. You are going to need four or five people to help mm. you. Mm. So, you know, people get attracted to this. And, and it's a very... It's a very pleasant community. Mm. It's a very friendly and open community. And is there, I, I presume there's a sort of, um, a kind of a, a calendar that, that's, that, that occurs over the course, you know, or there, there's set points in the year where set things happen. And obviously, Volvo Cork Week is one of them, the, arguably the highlight. But, you know, when does the sailing season begin in a given year? Usually in spring. Mm. And there's, there's, a May, there's a May series of, of regattas, mm. then June, then July. August is usually less because so many people are away on holiday. Mm. Then there's a September League, an Autumn League, mm. a November League. So the sailing really going on almost all year. Mm. Uh, what are the other sort of um, um, sailing clubs around Cork? Uh, uh, you know, and is there, are there friendly relationships or uh, friendly rivalries? There's Monkstown. Mm. Monkstown is is an old club. The um, Cove Sailing Club mm. has good relationships. Mm apart from the fact that one of their big races we won for the last two years. But <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say the less said about the better, but the more said about ri- that, the there's better. There's a lot of rivalry yes, in sailing. Yes, But it's, very, it's a very gentlemanly sport. Mm. You know, if you don't behave like a gentleman on the water, you get penalised on the water. Mm. So when you're approaching a mark to turn on, there's a set of rules that you have to obey, and if you don't, mm. you could be disqualified. Mm. So everything is done on a very gentle basis, even though the competition can be absolutely ferocious. Mm. So 300 years, uh, although actually it might be more, um, with some you know, interesting historical characters and figures thrown in, 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 in and amongst the, the story itself, from Hall Bolan to Cove to Crosshaven with a series of mergers in the 1960s. And where is Royal Cork Yard Club at now? Well, we're uh, just about to start our our biennial Cork Week, Mm -hmm. which we didn't have at all on the actual anniversary of our 300th because Mm. of COVID. Mm. But it's, we have it every other year Mm. and we have it every... Is that because it's such a sort of a feat to put together? Um, Not really, but there's um, a big regatta in Dunleary. Right. And that's held in the other year. Oh, so So there's a bit of a mutual sort of a... Dunleary crowd come down... So when when we cancelled in... To 2020. Yes. We never thought that we'd then put it on to 2021. Yes. Because that would have messed up Dunleary. Yes. In fact, it didn't happen because of COVID anyway. Yes. But no, there is that relationship mm. between yacht clubs. Mm. And they rely on sailors from other yacht clubs, like from Kinsale, mm. um, to, to support our regattas and we support their regattas. Mm. But the, the core quake is international. Mm. I mean, we had boats coming from America and from much further away mm. um, two years ago, mm. and that obviously couldn't happen. Mm. This year, it won't be quite as big as the Cork 300 would have been. There'd mm. be roughly 200 boats. Mm. But we're having, for the first time, a classic regatta. Mm. And, and is that a parade of vintage boats? No, it's a re- regatta oh, it's a- races. This is races <laughs> between old boats, and yeah. some of them are absolutely beautiful. Yeah. There's 20 of them coming over from France just to race. Wow. You know, Magic. And some of our members... It sounds very romantic, very you know, boats. even the idea of like sailing from France over to over to Cork to take part in a series of races. It probably is uh, romantic and hard work and mm-hmm. scary at times if you're in high seas. It can, yes, it can be <laughs> scary. The idea of, of sailing as 
as we th- do it yeah. is that we look at the forecast very carefully. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Let's try to not be in those conditions if we can help it. Yeah, yeah I think I would be. Uh, that's I the think kind of, it's you know, this it's, is kind of sailing I would do too. <laughs> and if it's sunny and not too cold, it's even more attractive. Mm. But you do need a bit of wind. You need a bit of wind. Yeah. Mm. I'm trying to think there now. It's it's not sailing because there's that Thundercat um, that that's been built in Cove and it um, it took a trial run down to the Fastnet. Was it last summer, the summer before? And I went out in in some kind of speedboat. But I think there was some yachts out and around. And yeah, it is. It just it it seems like a lovely um, enterprise or, or activity to be to be involved in on a nice day with a bit of wind and and off you go. And um, there's an incredible feeling being propelled by the wind. Mm. It's an absolutely wonderful feeling. It's it's yeah. Great. I don't think I've been. Con- Propelled by a wave when you surf yeah. is fantastic. Yes. I wasn't very good at the balancing, so yeah. I can't turn to windsurfing. <laughs> but being propelled by wind, yeah. switching off the engine. Well, is the a ocean, great the ocean generally, uh, you know, and just being in that element, in, and 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 I guess in, in any of the cases, you know using a device to try to master it in some way master it's the wrong because you never master the ocean but but to uh, manipulate it in some way in order to uh, achieve an end um, is 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 an exciting thing one thing we should say you know you can't hold things like cork week without sponsors and volvo had put a lot of effort into supporting us as at aib mm-hmm. for our 2020 which never happened mm-hmm. and volvo just stuck with us they were great mm. they really were very loyal it makes and Porter Cork are also supporting us mm-hmm. as Red FM. You're one of our sponsors. Yes, correct. Yes, yes. And delighted to be involved <laughs> you know? and, de- and delighted to get some of the stories out. And you know, I think you know Royal Cork Yacht Club is a very famous brand in Cork, a very famous um, institution. Um, and as you mentioned, the oldest yacht club in the world, which is I think something to be very proud of. Um, and uh, you know, thriving and surviving and uh, hitting and heading out into the waters, the, into the beautiful waters. I mean, Cork Harbour is just gorgeous. But I was even thinking of Roaring Water Bay then when you're down that way. And, oh, I love that. You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, and 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 you know, sailing out to Cape Clear, I presume, and you know, out out round the Fastnet. I mean, yeah, the Cork coast is just we've uh, got wonderful. Mm. The southwest of Ireland has mm. got the best, one of the best coastlines in the world. Mm. The the nicest in which to sail, you mm. know. Mm. Yeah, it's so fantastic. It's, so it's a it's a pleasure and a privilege. But we're also you've got a we've got a family day mm. um, on the Sunday, correct? Before it starts, mm-hmm. and that's huge for us. I mean, people from the village, people from Cork, come and us. Things for kids. It's like a party, basically. Mm. Mm. Well, we very nice. Well, we look forward to it. Dr. Paul McCarthy of Royal Cork Yacht Club, thank you for telling me some of the stories of the 300 years of the August institution. We wish everyone well for Volvo Cork Week 2022 and for future Cork Weeks on every second year. So uh, <laughs> 2024 will be the next, but it's July 11th to 15th in this case. And thank you for the chats. Thank you very much. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.